Well, this morning, church, we're continuing our series, Pray, Serve, Be, as we're fighting for a rhythm and we're really defining what God is calling us to be, who God is calling us to be in this season as a church. The first week I talked about being still and knowing that he is God. Last week I talked about being strong and courageous. And this week I want to talk to you about being imitators. I remember I was 19 years old working at Albertson's Grocery Store on Stony Point Road in Santa Rosa, California. Probably one of my all-time favorite jobs because I was a courtesy clerk where I bagged people's groceries and as they came through the line, I got to know people, I got to talk to people, I got to carry their groceries out to their car. I used to get in conversations with these folks and even share my newfound faith in Christ with them. I remember one particular day I was taking groceries out for a nun who was from the Catholic Church down the street and I remember just wanting to have a conversation and I told her that I had grew up Catholic and that recently, a year before, I had given my life to Jesus Christ and I was now a born-again Christian. And I remember telling her that as I put the bag in her car and I looked back at her and I remember her peering over her glasses and saying, once a Catholic, always a Catholic. You see, I have no doubt and I would dare to say that we were both believers, but she was more concerned with my affiliation than my new identification in Christ. We're going to look at the book of Ephesians today, which is really a book about our new identity in Christ. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul begins writing to the church in Ephesus about unity and how we will walk in our new identity as a community into maturity. But what happens oftentimes in our Western Christianity is that we read these passages of Scripture that I'm about to read to you as individual believers instead of as a body of believers. And so what I want you to do this morning is come from the perspective that this letter is being read not to individuals, but this letter is being read to an entire community, the church in Ephesus. Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 21, Paul says, If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. We're going to jump down to verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Verse 32. And be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, remember what I've said, if you see a therefore, you've got to know 
why it's therefore. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I want to talk to you this morning about Paul's encouragement to be imitators in this hour, to be imitators in this season. It leads me to my first point that the enemy of our new identity in Christ is our captivity to an individualistic society. Let me say that again. The enemy of our new identity in Christ is our captivity to an individualistic society. Ephesians 21 and 24, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. And so we see that there's a putting off of our former conduct because the old man, how many know, leaves you alienated and corrupted. We've got to renew the spirit of our mind that has to happen so we can think differently, have a new perspective on the kingdom life. And then putting on the new man. So we're not only putting something off. We've got to put something on. The new man which was created to be connected to God and to others in righteousness and holiness. You see, I believe unity will never be fully found insisting on our own individuality. In other words, when you and I are saved... Yes, we are saved as individuals. We are saved individually. But we are also set apart as a member in the body of Christ, a child in the family of God. A few weeks ago, I taught you that this was Jesus' prayer for us to be sanctified, to be set apart. Set apart to what? Set apart to a body. Set apart as a bride. Set apart as a royal priesthood, set apart as a holy temple, set apart as a family. He places the lonely in families and set apart as a holy nation. To be sanctified, remember, is a revelation that I am set apart to do my part as a part of something greater than myself. Oh, you've got to get that this morning. A revelation that I'm set apart to do my part of something greater than myself. And because I have that revelation, therefore I will do all I can to protect the unity of God's house and not divide God's house. In other words, the old man and his old ways will tear down a house. But the new man, when I put on the new man, come on, his ways, the new ways build up the house. And so therefore, I'm not calling out members of the body because I'm called to cover members of my body. 1 Corinthians 12, 21 says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Listen to this, that there may be no division 
in the body. How many know we need one another in this day? We need one another in this season. It says this, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Unfortunately, however, the individualization of the gospel says, I don't care, but sanctification commands that I do care. Ephraim Smith, in his comments regarding the beloved community in a multi-ethnic world, he says this, that the cultural captivity of the church has meant that the church is more likely to reflect the individualism of Western philosophy than the value of community found in Scripture. He goes on to say that taking personal responsibility for one's life is not a bad thing, and seeing ourselves individually as God's beloved child isn't either. We come to Christ repenting of our individual sins and in turn receive grace, forgiveness, and new life. But, he says, if we focus too much on the individual, we overlook the emphasis on community that is clear throughout Scripture. The church at the end of the day is a community, not an institution full of individuals. It leads me to my second point, that the enemy of our unity is the failure of not walking in our new identity. The enemy of our unity is the failure of not walking in our new identity. Verse 24, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. You see, in the body of Christ, unity will never be realized without walking in our new identity as the body of Christ. And that's why as a believer in Jesus, the enemy would love for you to identify with something else other than the cross of Christ because the devil knows, listen, what's not crucified will never be unified. What's not crucified will never be unified. And we know this from several weeks ago. That, listen, Jesus says, be glorified. And in order for the body to be glorified, come on, how many know the body has to be crucified? So if Jesus is going to be glorified, come on, his body needs to be crucified. So why? We can be unified. You see, if you refuse to die to yourself, you will never live united with others. And because polarization in our culture has crept into the church because of the lack of revelation of our new identification in Christ, Paul said it this way. He said, my old identity has been co-crucified with Messiah and no longer lives. For the nails of his cross crucified me with him. And now the essence of this new life is no longer mine. For the anointed one lives his life through me. We, now he goes from me to we, we live in union as one. Because I've been crucified, come on, I've been crucified with Christ. Now I've been unified with him. I am fully alive in him and with him. My new life, it goes on to say, 
The Passion Translation, my new life is empowered by the faith of the Son of God who loves me so much that he gave himself for me and dispenses his life into mine. Why does he dispense his life into mine? So I can dispense his life into others. You see, if we choose to identify first with anything other than Jesus Christ, unity is not a possibility. You know, unity is easy to preach about. It's easy to dream about, but it's very difficult to walk out because it requires us, listen, it requires us to have a revelation that we cannot walk in our old identity, that we cannot, come on, listen to me, we cannot keep on our old clothes. No, we've got to put them off and we've got to put on Christ to walk in the revelation of the beloved community that God has designed for his church. You may recall the movie Miracle on Ice, which premiered in 2004. It was about the gold medal winning men's United States hockey team, which was led by coach Herb Brooks. In one of the scenes, when the team initially came together, there was players from rival colleges and two of those players started brawling and the coaches broke it up and he gathered them and he instructed the players to shout out their name, their hometown and the team they played for. Each player went on to shout out the name of the college they used to identify with instead of the team they were currently on. In a later scene during an exhibition against Norway, the game is tied three to three. Brooks notices the players are distracted and not playing to their potential as a team. And he forces the team to do uh, wind sprints up and down the ice until one player finally realizes that the name on the front of the jersey is more important than the name on the back of the jersey. Watch this. Get a whistle. Hold up, hold up, hold up. Gotta get back on the ice. Go. What for? We'll find out soon enough. Let's go back on the ice. Come on, boys. What for? We'll find out in a minute, won't we? Let's go. Come on. You guys don't want to work during the game? No problem. We'll work now. Go on. That one.
think you can win on talent alone? Gentlemen, you don't have enough talent to win on talent alone. Again. Represent yourself and your teammates. And a name on the front is a hell of a lot more important than the one on the back. Get that through your head. Again. Everybody get on that line. Hey. Again. Play for. Play for the United States of America. That's all, gentlemen. You see, I love when Coach Herb Brooks says, When you pull on the jersey, you represent yourself and your teammates, the name on the front is more important than the name on the back. This morning, church, I've come to encourage you when you put off the old man and when you put on Christ Jesus, it is more important than anything else that you would identify with, including your family name. Because how many know when we are sanctified, when we have a revelation of sanctification, I am set apart in God's family. He says he sets the lonely in families, including our ethnicity, because we're saved. We are from one race, one nation, a holy nation, including your political party, because we serve one kingdom, and including your religious affiliation, because we serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The Bible says the government is upon his shoulders, and we serve the only true God. You see, when I choose to let my identity be defined by something else or someone else other than Jesus Christ, I I commit idolatry. It leads me to my third point. The enemy of community is our immaturity. The enemy of our community is immaturity. Ephesians 4 verse 30 says this, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. I purposely 
skipped over verses 25 and 29, but I created a checklist which are indicators of immaturity that Paul tells us need to be put away so that we can put on the new man. Verse 25 says, put away falsehood. Let each one of you speak the truth. Verse 26 says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Verse 27 says, give no opportunity to the devil. Verse 28 says, let the thief no longer steal. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. And then he says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit. That word grieve means to make sorrowful, to offend, to make one uneasy. I'm wondering that if in these times where we've allowed polarization to creep in the church, if we've allowed the Holy Spirit to become uneasy, maybe even offended, maybe even sorrowful. You see, I believe our immaturity breaks the heart of God. And I believe as your pastor, the things put away by the power of the cross can stay away, stay away by the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Listen, I'm here to remind you this morning that Paul is not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to the church of Jesus Christ. And he says bitterness. He's talking about isolators. I call them isolators. An isolator is someone who has a bitter root and is producing bitter fruit. Then he talks about wrath. That word wrath literally means someone who comes to a boil and then it subsides. Comes to a boil and then subsides. I call that person an intimidator. Someone who has unbridled passion and flashes anger, which is really only fake power. He lists anger, which I call the igniter. Someone who is always starting fires instead of putting them out as Scripture instructs us to do. And then there's clamor. I call this person the agitator. Someone who is always making noise with no poise. They're the clamoring Christian. They're always shouting. They're always trying to agitate everybody. And then there's the slanderer. That word is translated blasphemy. The accuser is someone who is speaking things that bring injury to another's good name. And then malice, I call this the inflictor. The inflictor is someone who causes pain and distress on purpose. And Paul says, listen, don't be an isolator. Don't be an intimidator. Don't be an igniter. Don't be an agitator. Don't be an accuser. Don't be an inflictor. In fact, he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Put away all that mess and put on your new identity in Christ Jesus. And in verse 32, as I close, he says, be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgive one another as Christ forgave you. And then you go to chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, and Paul says, listen, stop. He says, church, I need you 
to be imitators of God. I need you to be beloved children of the Almighty God. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You see, I believe like never before, church, our walk has to match our talk and our talk has to match our walk. I told you a few weeks ago, the world is looking for a witness. What do they see? Because I believe God is wanting to unite His church. And as the Holy Spirit dropped the question in my heart a few weeks ago, I want to challenge you again. If not now, when? If not now, when? You see, we have a choice as a collective community to be isolators, to be intimidators, to be igniters, to be agitators, instigators, inflictors, or we can be imitators. Paul says, be imitators of God. That word means followers. How many know we need to follow Jesus closely in this season as a congregation and as a church? He says, be kind. The word kind means be someone who is useful and manageable. Don't be someone who's out of control. Don't be someone who's of not any use. Be useful and manageable. He says, be tender-hearted, be compassionate. And then he says, be forgiving. And I believe we've got to walk in forgiveness like we've never had before. To be forgiving is someone who shows oneself gracious, kind, and benevolent. Benevolent means marked by or disposed to doing good. It means being organized for the purpose of doing good. I think that's a description of the church. We've been organized for the purpose, come on, of doing His good works on the earth today. And I want to ask you this question. What does the Bible say about overcoming evil and how the church does it? Listen, it's not about fighting about it. No, no. We overcome evil by what? By doing good. In verse 32, and I'm going to read it again, but I'm going to read it in the King James. I'm going to go old school on you as we close because he says this, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one, another, forgiving one another, even as God, listen to this, for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. That reminds me, I grew up in a non-Christian home, but my grandmother used to say that, for Christ's sake. And I want to say that to you this morning. Listen, for Christ's sake, even as God hath forgiven you, can we forgive one another? Can we be tenderhearted? Can we be kind to one another? You see, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you, will you forgive others? Will you let go and let God? Will you be an imitator instead of an isolator? Will you be an imitator 
instead of an intimidator? Will you be an imitator instead of an igniter? Will you be an imitator instead of an agitator? Will you be an imitator instead of an afflictor? And I believe God is calling us to be imitators of Him. Imitators of Jesus. Followers of Christ. Why? So we can prove to the world that we are His disciples. That we are His followers. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, I just pray for a revelation of our new identi identity in you. Lord, I thank you. You called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. God, you've called us out. You've set us apart. God, so we could be a part of the family of God, so we could be a part of a chosen generation, so we could be a part of a royal priesthood, so we could be a part of a holy nation. God, and I ask you, God, your kingdom come. Lord, in power and glory, God, on earth as it is in heaven. God, I pray, Lord, that you would visit your church. God, that you would visit us. God, that you would come. God, that we would encounter you and only you. And God, we would discover not who we are as individuals, but Lord, who we are as the church. God, you're calling us to be, Lord, in this season. In Jesus' name. Church, I love you. I just want to challenge you to do an inventory. Take this checklist and listen, just go through it and say, God, if there's anything in me that would take away from your family, that would take away from being a part, God, of what you're doing, God, I pray that you would convict me. God, I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. I challenge you to do that this week. Church, I love you. And we'll see you at the barn service next week at 10 a.m. Don't forget to register.